Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichette. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is a Tuesday, October 24th, 2023. And as always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. On the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also go to your, uh, download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you do that, Before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that glowing heart icon, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give me a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on the phone. 
It'll put a little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. Or, alternately, you can send me an email. You can email uh, me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if you send us an email and uh, with a question or a comment, we will address it on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so that you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it just makes it so much easier for us to live into our intention with this work And the intention we have with all of this work is to be of service. So if you let us know how we can be of service, we will endeavor to do that day in and day out here on the show or in the support groups. Today is a Tuesday, so there will be a support group. These support groups are available absolutely free through the technology of Zoom. If you go to the mindshiftersacademy.org website and click on the information page for either Tuesday or Thursday, two separate pages. It might still say something about, you know, you can make a donation or a fee for it, but it's absolutely free. All the information to join is right there. Just plug that into your Zoom window and you'll be able to join us. 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time on both Tuesday and Thursday evenings. And we'd be happy to have you join us or pass the information along to somebody you think might benefit from participating in that group experience. We had um, Magda on the call yesterday doing processing, so we have plenty of time today for comments, questions, or answers about that. I, um, If this were within our first five or ten years of the show, I'd say that should be a highlight show because it, it had some intense processing in it, although there comes a certain point where there are so many of those where people have done intense processing that I just unless somebody specifically requires or requests that that be uh, edited out and put in a special list, I will let it be just another one of our very productive um, MindShifter radio shows that's in the archives. And... What's on your mind today? How did that land for you yesterday? I have um, I've been going through some of the uh, writings that I did when I was younger, 27, 28, 29, 30 years old, 31, 32, whatever, 33, 34. 
And um, one of the poems I wrote in graduate school back probably in 1982 or 83 is here. It's handwritten, printed. And the poem reads, If a time should come when you stop and reflect and you wonder why people seldom seem to connect, think of the body that you carry around and all the distortions of sights and sounds. Think of the way we twist all events to make them come out to suit us the best. Just think of the confines of blood, skin, and bone and you'll find it's no wonder we all feel alone. How is it then that we ever get close? It's when we reach with our hearts that we grasp the most. Give you a little insight into what was buzzing around in my brain 40-some years ago. Maybe, Maybe how we got to where we are. There's another one that uh, I have offered um, on my website, mindshiftersacademy.org. There's a two separate hour-long audio files of the recording of a workshop I did at a Unity Church back in 2015 or whatever. And I've been talking about this process of saying goodbye to good people without saying goodbye to good memories for a long time. I used to call it the termination process, but then they had the Terminator movies and people complained about it. So I changed the title to saying goodbye to good people without saying goodbye to good memories. And... That's available along with uh, a PDF download of a series of headings for categories that you might use in that process. And here on um, computer paper, sequentially printed computer paper that used to have the printer feed holes on the side that have been perforated and ripped off from 1987. Here's a letter I wrote that's uh, it's an example of that process. I had had this good friend for three years, and we lived together for two years in graduate school. And when it came time for us to live separately, he was getting married and moving on. He didn't really want to do this process, this termination process. He was a very introverted type individual. So I crafted a letter that I sent to his parents and to him rather than cornering him and doing this live. And so in in full transparency, here is the, the typed computer letter and I better do something with this because the pages are yellowing and they're going to fall apart eventually. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Wagner, 
I'm sorry it has taken me this long to get this letter off to you. There really is no good excuse. I've already had, I have already had many wonderful moments of reminiscence from this year's festival that we attended with your gracious hospitality. Immediately after leaving your house, we drove back to our apartment and began getting things ready for your son's departure. Since that time, I've been trying to get things organized and find a job and a roommate for the coming year. I have deeply enjoyed your son's companionship over the last few years, and I already miss his presence. I was blessed to find a friend as compatible as your son, and I will miss his friendship, humor, and unique perspective. He is truly one of the finest people I have met on my journeys. He has a strong sense of personal values and ethics, which he is loath to compromise. He has a wonderful sense of humor and an easygoing manner, which allow him to relate to almost everyone on some level. His intelligence and proclivity for deep analysis are somehow at the base of all of this and yet seem at times to be just the icing on the cake. All of these things have combined to make him a friend who has helped me through two of the toughest years of my life. I have valued his insight, his strength, and his tolerance more than he will ever know. My point in writing all of this is twofold. To begin with, I feel that it is too infrequent that parents get the benefit of or the accolades do their enormous effort in raising a family. I have had firsthand experience with the fruits of your labors, and I'm here to say you have done one hell of a fine job. The second reason for writing this is more selfish in nature. I have learned over the years that I feel much better about ending relationships and episodes in my life if I take the time to consider what has transpired and share with the people that I will be leaving what I have learned from them. Among the many wonderful qualities your son possesses is a reluctance to face the sadness of terminating a relationship. As a result, we did not get a chance to talk through these things in person. I try to honor his wishes and not corner him with some long-winded goodbye. This note, then, is a way of dealing with the feelings of loss, gratitude, and wonder that result from knowing someone like your son for more than two years and then having to say goodbye. I certainly hope to see you again, but that's beside the point, inasmuch as this is truly the end of this segment of our relationship. I have enjoyed getting to know you and your family and friends, and I consider my life greatly enriched by the experiences we have shared over the last two years. Thank you both for your kindness, generosity, and friendship. So that's an example of a termination letter. That's an example of reviewing the ups and downs, the struggles, the challenges, the successes, the joys of a relationship.
And there's another one I won't get through without crying, but this is the letter to my grandmother of a similar nature. This was later expanded into, or or perhaps this is what was left after I trimmed down four or five pages of memories with her. And so this letter of gratitude and review, uh, life review, to my mother's mother, my grandmother. Dear Graham, I'm sorry it's taken me this long to write, but I've been busy getting back into the business of schoolwork. I will treasure your gifts for many years, and I greatly appreciate your check as it helps make ends meet and allows me to do some fun things that I normally can't afford. However, I want this note to convey something more. Tears coming up for me. I want you to understand something of the impression you have made on my life. You're one of the major reasons for my thinking that I'm a very fortunate human being. You've been a foundation for one of the best families that has ever been my pleasure to know. It is not possible for you to know how many times I've taken comfort in memories of my time with you or to know how many dozens of people in the world have told me they wish they had a grandmother like mine. Your sense of humor, your perseverance, your understanding, and the love you have fostered and freely given to your family and friends, these are things I will never forget and constantly try to imitate. I wish you could know of the times that I received a compliment And then I realized that what I had done to earn the compliment was something I'd learned from you. A smile, a kind word, a humorous remark that lightens a difficult situation, a favor done for someone when none was asked. These are all things I've learned from you and things that remind me of you whenever and wherever I see them. I'm only 31 years old, and I've already spent many hours of many days wondering whether my life has been useful. I wonder if the things I do have made or will make a difference. I constantly hope that the way I choose to live my life will somehow make this world a better place to live. Based on the hunch that you've had similar thoughts and concerns, I want this note to express and document the fact that your life has made a difference and has made this world a better place for me to live. As a human being, I'm constantly troubled by how to repay you. There is something about human nature that doesn't like to be in debt, I suppose. Yet I'm constantly faced with the conclusion, I can't possibly repay you for all you've given me. My only option is to continue to use what you've given me to the best of my ability, and to live in the hope that my life will somehow make this world a better place to live. In this way, I would hope to multiply your efforts and spread joy, comfort, and love to the world around you. I will certainly miss you when you die, but I will remember your life and what you have given me as long as I live. 
lovingly in your debt. So those are two examples of how this process for saying goodbye to good people without saying goodbye to good memories might be acted out, might take the form of a letter or a conversation. And the value in that with the tears, with the feelings, with the deep dive into the emotions is that when I do that and then the relationship actually ends, I don't spend days, weeks, months, or years in the dark fog, the dark cloud of depression. I have found it to be an enormously effective way to minimize the effort I spend avoiding the negative emotions. And I have found, as I talk about in that workshop that we had the recording of on mindshiftersacademy.org that I then have all of my memories and all of the life lessons available for me for ready access in the library of my mind. I don't need to avoid any trigger that would let me remember the person that I've lost or that whose life has ended or who's moved away or has rejected me because I feel the upset, I feel the negative, I feel the pain or the grief, and I realize it's not going to overwhelm me. And then in the next breath, I get access to all of the life lessons, all of the joys, all of the teachings whether they were directly given by that person or something that I learned in the process of living through my experiences with that person. So we have plenty of time for comments and questions. 563-999-3581. Call that number. Press 1. Let me know how this is landing for you. Does it make any sense? Have you ever listened to the workshop on saying goodbye to good people without saying goodbye to good memories that's available on mindshiftersacademy.org 563-999-3581 press 1 let us know how we're doing I was talking to somebody the other day who has, I'll get to that in a minute, area code 610, Susan. Hi, Dr. Tim. God, those were wonderful letters. Uh, Thanks for reading them. Um, I don't know what to say except that they're, they're... Wonderful, and they're beautifully written too, and the poem too. <clears throat> As with all of us, I keep thinking about what the Course in Miracles says that we we're never upset for the reason we think, and in a way, we're saying we don't 
have any feelings that we understand the origin of and and yet you claim them in those writings so I haven't been able to really apply that thing in the Course in Miracles very well, partly because then what do we think about the strong feelings we have? We can't know the origin of them? Is that a useful thought? It's a pain. A pain in the neck. (laughs) Well, it isn't that we can't know the origins of our thoughts, it's what what's being said in in that is when we have an upset a negative emotion our mind wants to tell us that it's being created by someone outside of us mm-hmm. so if you want to know why you're upset Turn the focus inside and figure out, as we were talking about with Magda yesterday, what am I making this situation mean? It That's isn't true, that, and that I was can't a wonderful find. Session yesterday. I, I I have to agree. I think she did some powerful work. And and, and it the, happens the, so fast. <laughs> it just doesn't have, have to take a long time. I know. Well. It, it doesn't really, especially when there's that level of willingness. Yeah. You know, my, Michael calls willingness the cosmic grease. Mm. And if you know something about Magda and how long she's been around this work and how long she continues to dabble in it or to dive deep into it, depending upon, you know, which day or week or month she's in, then you'll see, here's a person who has great willingness. Mm -hmm. And if I have that willingness, there's, you know, any day, any worksheet I pick up might be the next one to just, you know, some some use the phrase like blow the doors off of this thing and and give me uh, an insight give me some clarity, give me some relief from a, a negative uh, emotional experience. So willingness is a big part of why that went so quickly yesterday. Another part mm-hmm. is she's not a stranger to looking at her uncomfortable emotions and taking responsibility for them. Mm-hmm. So even though in yeah. that phone call she had fallen into this trap that we all do of thinking somebody else is causing my upset, she has a lot of years of practicing dropping that and looking inside herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that very thing, the fact, for instance, what's going on in the Middle East, um, just as a very present example for a lot of people, I I tend to wake up in the middle of the night and usually the filters are all gone and I get the full impact of something I've been worrying about. And this was very much on my mind with a huge level of upset 
and I started on right in the bed, in my mind, doing the Dieterich thing of here's how I'm feeling. Let's just feel this feeling. Okay, let's just feel this feeling. And this is me. This is my feeling. This is about me. And then I come up with the question, can't it? And I've answered it, I think, but I just have to, this is part of the process. Can't it be about what's really happening? Because what's really happening, I mean, in one sense, you could say it's neutral. It's just a thing that's happening. But I don't think anybody would disagree that when 2,000 children are killed, that it's not just a thing, but what do we do with it? And the work goes on, and I, I got up and eventually and went for a walk, and I found that when I wasn't thinking about it, I wasn't upset. What happened? Where did that whole thing go? And then I remembered it, and it's like feeding wolves. It's like feeding the hungry monsters. I, I, I want to do them the honor of thinking about it and lamenting. But on the other hand, how, it's how, not how is that How is that honoring them? Notice what you're question. making that mean. Notice that, uh, yes. what you're making that you're mean. Right. Your you're suffering right. is right. going to honor them. Yep, that's an equation in my mind, and I thought of that too, but it, you caught it, and that's good. Anyway, there's a lot of yo-yoing going on over here, but the thing that amazed me about Magda is she unyo-yoed herself. The whole yo-yo just unwound, and she was able to say, yeah, that guy is mad and he's doing this, and but I'm not reacting anymore. I see where that came from. Now, she's certainly not denying that he's angry, but she's a different, on a different place, in a different place with her own mind. Well, it's just and, the recognition that he has his anger, that he's creating mm-hmm. by how he's making things turn up and for meaning in his life, and she creates her own with a completely mm-hmm. independent process. And yeah. that therein lies our liberty, right? There's the really good news. My anger, mm-hmm. my depression, my worry is not really caught up in other people's lives. Other people can choose to live a happy life or, you know, a joyful life or not, and I don't have to stay in upset about it. I'm free to create that interpretation that leaves me feeling at peace or compassion or joy or bliss or at least contentment because... My emotions aren't created by them, and theirs are not created by me. Magda remembered something that happened early, that parents fighting and how afraid she was, and she started to shake, and she found that thing. And you have said, you don't have to find the thing. But, my, and I know I'm going off in ten directions, but one of my questions is, does it have to harken back to a thing? Does it have to harken back to generational trauma? Can it be? I, I, I have worked with people. I have worked with people who start to shake. Magda was talking about, and they don't know why. It doesn't connect to a, 
a specific early trauma. And yet they allow the shaking or they get up and do the vigorous shaking and they breathe and they get a release anyway. I just want to point that out to you. Okay. And, and, you, and you, that's you, you, had a, you had a continuing you had a continuing question about can it be what? Can it be like for instance, imagine I come to this planet as a seventy nine year old woman and I have no karma, no background. This is just a hypothetical. If I saw what was happening in the Middle East with that hospital that got bombed, for instance, would I in my natural state have no reaction? Can you I don't imagine know. that I wouldn't. Yeah. Well, okay. I know you can't imagine it because you're coming from your history. And you're coming from what you but you're making it, it all mean. But it always has to be a history. Uh, this is a useless question in a way, but it's like we're saying I am feeling upset because when I was small, this happened. Well, could I just feel really enraged or upset just because this isn't supposed to be happening? And that's a judgment. I know I'm going around. Well, but that's, that's, what, that's what generates the upset in me. When I yeah. make the conclusion that this should not be happening, then I generate the upset that I experience. Look at it. There, there are people, if this is easily a possibility, that there would be people on the other side who feel they've been oppressed and living in a, you know, military state, a police state, and that their rights have been trampled and that they've got no freedom and that their people have been killed for years, and they see that strike that levels the hospital and they cheer. They say, mm-hmm. yes, this is, going to, this is going to move things forward. This is going to bring us the freedom that we want, etc. How could that happen? Because they give it that meaning. And they don't focus on thoughts about the innocent children, et cetera. Mm-hmm, it's just don't. like when, yeah. when, when, when the planes went into the, the Twin Towers on 9-11. Not everybody on the planet was upset about that. Mm-hmm. Some people yeah. were cheering okay. that. Some people had, had mm-hmm. decided to give their lives to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how does that happen? It happens because those people create a meaning. They create an interpretation loaded with meaning, and they pour their mind energy into that, and that's what generates their experience in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been teaching this. I've been hearing this. I've been agreeing with it. I've been understanding it. Just well, not well, quite again, doing it. Well, and again, we don't want people to agree with this. We just want people to observe this for themselves. Maybe that doesn't work that way in your life. So observe how it does work for you in your life so that you can get the benefits of knowing how to navigate your life. Mm-hmm. But it's not about agreeing with it. It's about watching what it is that's creating your upset. And if you're choosing to have less upset, then don't do as much of that, whatever creates upset. If you want more peace, 
do whatever it is that gives you more peace. But recognizing that you're the one that's creating whatever peace you experience. I got there. There was one that happened in a in a session last Friday. I should mention this. This is you know every once in a while, Jeannie Rice says, you know, Michael, you should you should talk about how people could do a worksheet on um, a good emotion they have. You're, you're familiar with that, right? Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the idea that if I think the happiness I'm experiencing is only happening because X, Y, and Z person did whatever they did. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a I'm in a marital session. I have a marital couple in my office, and they've been to um, I'll say uh, four sessions already. And there's been a shift for the, the, the better, but they're not sure why or how. But the, the, the woman says, you know, I can tell you why I'm feeling better is because he changed this, 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 and this. Yeah. And I said, please understand... You are not feeling better because he changed anything. You're feeling better because of a change you made in your interpretation of that. And she bristled, as so many mm-hmm. people do when I talk. <laughs> yeah. And she said, that's not true. This really happened. He really did change these behaviors. And I said, please, let me explain to you what you might start to observe for yourself. I said, I've been doing therapy for a lot of years. And the thing that flashed in my mind on Friday when I was working with this couple was when I would work in the juvenile hall and psychiatric hospitals and we would devise these behavioral uh, contracts for the teens to... um, win back their privileges or gain their parents' trust, et cetera, right, to earn their way to a different level of um, freedom in the program or whatever. Right. And I said, on a regular basis, the parents would come in, see the progress. The people on the staff would be extolling, you know, the virtues of, of their child and how hard he or she had worked and, you know, get all revved up to try and, you know, help them move to the next level of acceptance and growth and all that good stuff. And the parents would say, I just see this as more manipulation on my on my child's part. I think they're just doing this so they can get these privileges back, and as soon as I give them these privileges, they're going to go haywire. Mm-hmm. Same events. Different mm-hmm. interpretation, completely mm-hmm. different emotional response inside the parents. Some mm-hmm. parents would come in and they would see that work and they would say, oh, we're going to put the interpretation on this that our child really is learning and growing and that we can move forward. Mm-hmm. So I said to this woman, I promise you I have dealt with marital couples and we've had a few sessions and things change and one person goes, isn't this great? It's changed. And the other one goes, I don't think it's going to last. I think they're just, 
I think they're just killing time until I think they're already out. And they throw a different interpretation on the very same data points. And each mm-hmm. of us do that mm-hmm. all day, every day, whether we're aware of it or not. Mm. So you're inviting us to see the highest and best in ourselves and in the other person and operate only from that. That's one thing I've been repeating to myself six times a day. No exaggeration. I have this little system I'm going through. It's a novena, nine days, staying six times. It's the Tesla 369 prayer routine that I'm doing. And one of them has to do with seeing the highest and best. And then I look at the Middle East and I think, are we doing... Are we really doing, do I, is this the highest and best we can do? And so I'm getting all screwed up. I'm telling you I'm a very screwed up person calling you up today. And you don't have to unravel it or anything. I shouldn't even call in, I don't think. I feel like a total wreck about all this. Well, all I can do is encourage you to use all the tools you have to dismantle the the feeling of wreckness that you're creating, mm. right? And and again, um, we have somebody else who just put a hand up, and I'm going to turn on their microphone because that is our agreement. But also, I want you to highlight for yourself the fact that you're creating the sense of being a wreck because you're trying to figure it out at the conscious logical level. And that just will never, never bear fruit. Mm. Area code 314. Is this Doug? It is. Hello, uh, Doug. Hi, Susan. I, I, <laughs> I am so enjoying your call. I, I, you're not a wreck, and there's value in your calling in. And I just <laughs> so much so that I... Before you said the start about being a wreck, I pushed one because because it was just like I have to just acknowledge the value of what you're engaging in here, both of you are and for me, um, and and I like some of these questions that you ask, like the one about if you just came here with no karma, you know, and then I what how would you look at this situation and and I'm thinking to myself. Yeah, what what does determine that? You know, um, what is it like for say uh, somebody like Yeshua to look at the situation, or somebody else who has you know a really high set of organization in their being with a, a tr- tremendous amounts of depth of truth? How how do they see the situation? And it's it's a really valuable question, <clears throat> and I also feel mm-hmm. like. Jesus cried over Jerusalem. I'll just put that in there. So, 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 yes, that's valuable input, you know. And so, so there is some set I would offer. I mean, and I'm also of an open question, you know, for Dr. Tim's input and and anyone else's. But like, it seems to me there is something in everyone at every level that allows them to see something from different perspectives and feel different things perhaps i don't know mm. but but the question mm-hmm. that that drives me now is what are those things and how do we do are we just keep refining our viewpoint 
we still have one. You know, it's it's interesting. It it just I don't know. I don't know. But but I I it's it's a it's a really uh, a worthwhile point that you made. I, it, for me, it, it, at least it is. And and um as as much of the rest of what you said. I think one of the reasons I jumped on this pushed one and everything is because, Dr. Tim, you wrote that poem and then you wrote those two letters. That is a kind of care and organization and consideration that seems so gorgeous in a world that's really struggling so hard. It's like you chose to do those things and see those beloved people in a certain way and reach out to them, acknowledge, I mean, that friendship and that that friend of yours and then your grandmother, that kind of love and consideration is pitted against this chaos. And I want to, I want to somehow bring that loving kindness and consciousness into situations. I was at the refugee center this morning doing my usual thing and they were the people there are in all states of wellness and not we had about ten new people come in, mainly from South American countries now, Venezuela spilling into. You know, and they're they're doing their best to be appreciative and kind to one another. They're trying to be civil and organized and loving when they've had a terrible time. And I don't know where I'm going with this, except that it's a kind of organization that I feel in danger of losing with all this chaos in the, the struggling parts of the world. I don't know what you can do with that, but anyway. Well, well, all I can do with it is say, here you are again, just like Doug was. I didn't interrupt Doug, but he's doing the same thing, trying to figure it out. What would yeah, that yeah. be like? <laughs> well, the invitation is live into it, right? Use the tools and start having that direct experience yourself. That's the only way to find out. There aren't any words someone can say that will help you understand it. It's like if you've never had chocolate or a cake or ice cream before, no one can speak words that give you the experience of having, you know, chocolate ice cream with, or chocolate cake with a frosting of your choice and the chocolate ice cream. You have to live into the experience of it. The other thing I would say is that it's not one thing against the other. You know, it's it's what we've been taught that uh, everything has to be a battle, good over evil, etc. But these more advanced teachings are saying that's not the way it works love is going to win love is winning don't spend your mind energy on the anger and fear and sadness how many times you hear michael rice talk about fear not fear not fear not in the scriptures and why 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 are we getting admonished to not go into fear because that's a creation and it's counterproductive That it is. Yeah.
I just thought of something. What's that? <laughs> uh, well, just that I think I owe it to them. I think if I didn't pay attention and didn't feel terrible, I'd be hurting them even more. In a way, it's doing somebody some good to feel this badly about this situation. I might still feel really badly about it, but I'm quiet, Dr. Tim. I mean, well, yeah, yeah. I might do somebody some good for me to feel really badly about this situation. I don't right, know. I just, I just have to. I just feed back to you what you just said. Okay, I know. Well, okay, you're right. No, I'm, it's not it about go. being right or wrong. I'm just feeding your words back to you. And, you know, what what the great teachings say is you can't figure it out. So you just said let it go. Well, you can let it go if you want or you can stay, but choose what what feels best for you. If it's feeling good for you, do more of it. If it's deeply gratifying, do more of it. Right? If you're absolutely convinced that your worry is what's keeping your son's plane in the air, by all means, just spend that energy pouring it into worry. I'm not going to tell you not to worry. I will be here compassionately observing and saying, you don't seem to be in joy. You don't seem to be choosing love right now, etc. And No, um, no. And, and and if we have the awareness of our experience in life as part of a, an energetic universe and we are generating this negative energy within us and we become aware of that, the invitation in this work is choose again. Choose for mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. And then and then observe what, what how does it pan out I'm thinking this is love and you've got it you've got it right there because it isn't I'm loving them by being upset that's not true it has nothing to do with it you know it, I just I just want to come to this whenever somebody says, you're right, I want to get to, it's not about being right. It's not about right versus wrong. That's what we were talking about earlier, right? We're raised in this culture to think there's the good guys and the bad guys and the good has to win over evil. And these deep teachings say the evil is literally just a mirage, that in the end, you're not just a physical body. And love is all there is. And this energy of creation is all it is. And it's going to keep unfolding. And you get to choose your experience moment to moment. So, you know, like Michael Singer would talk about, just get to the point where you step back and observe as this flow of life, he calls it the energy of life, Shakti, right? He, he says, as this Shakti flows and you are in a space where you just experience it without judging, you, you're alive, you're in that bliss state, you're in that love, you're filled with this energy. And when you step back from it and decide, 
you're going to judge it. You're going to get into figuring it out. You're going to resonate with some old trauma energy. You're going to try and push some things away and grab on to others. Then you start to create the turbulence, which leaves you with the experience of upset. Mm-hmm. And that it's a process you can observe and tap into. But it's all about recognizing that I can never figure it out. That this conscious mm-hmm. logical mind that Michael Rice calls the nine bit mind, etc., can't even begin to comprehend how things are the way they are and how they're unfolding and how they're going to work out for the best or turn into a blessing, etc. And it's a trap to use that mind to try to direct what's going on. Okay, I have a question. Wait, wait, let me just finish that thought. So what if I do if that's a trap? Turn back to the loving thoughts. Choose again, choose only love. Choose to teach only love. What does that mean? Choose to share only your loving thoughts and then observe what you get. Okay, what's your question? I don't remember the Christian Sundberg book well enough, but I remember, and maybe I'm paraphrasing, maybe I made this up, but he said something like coming to earth is like coming into a shit show, and he had to ask for certain advantages like intelligence to be agree to be born, and he also said people who agree to come here from wherever he came from are considered heroes up there. Well, I'm just I'm wondering what he would say, for instance, about what you just said, or what kind of a stance he would take on the war over there. Okay, and wait. I know I'm trying Forget to figure about the war. Out. Forget about the war. Okay. Stick with okay. his book and his writing. What does he okay. say is the real reason for coming here? What does he say is the growth to grow how? To grow in our ability to choose love, right? In more and more difficult and challenging what he would call constraint sets. So I don't think that's it. Yeah, I, I don't think you need to wonder what he would say. That's what he would say. He says it in the book over and over again. What's the constraint set? I'm in this body and I have this physical illness. What's the constraint set? I'm on this planet and my TV set is flooding me with images of people blowing each other up in the Ukraine and in Russia and in in, in the Middle East. Those are constraint sets. Mm -hmm. And so in that, his book says over and over again, the value that I get from having chosen to come here, the growth my spirit, my soul, my spark of, of consciousness can derive from this is building the strength within me to be able to choose for love even in those more intense constraint sets. How would that show? How would that manifest? It wouldn't manifest the way I've been doing it, by caring about them the way I do, by feeling tight in my chest as if I've got to take a belt off of it. That's not good. That's not the right... Well, it isn't that it's not good. It's just that it creates one set of consequences. And is it Mm. ending the war? 
No. Is it is it saving any children? Okay. So then, so why don't you? And is it putting loving energy out into the field, into the quantum no. soup? Okay. So then you no. might want to choose again, and that's all there mm-hmm. is to it. It's not about is it right, is it wrong, is it good, is it bad. It's just do it, experience it, and watch the consequences. Mm-hmm. If you like the consequences, do more of it. If you don't like the consequences, choose something else. Choose again. Choose mm-hmm. for love. Ah. Thanks. Good. You're welcome. We have just a couple minutes left. I'm turning on the microphone for area code 541. Celinda? Yes, I am realizing a couple things Susan uh, said that really helped me. And she kept talking about doing. And I have come to the conclusion when I am being sane that doing is always connected to the survival brain. Oh, well, we must do something, the figuring it out brain. We must do something. We must have a certain outcome. We must um, make sure that we get the outcome that we need so we can survive. And so I wanted to share uh, where I think Michael is very right in making a distinction between doing and being is that as long as we are bound in doing and bound to a certain outcome that we want, the way we want it to be, whether we want it to be heavenly or hellish, it doesn't matter. Um, We're locked in to figuring it out, and we're locked in to good and evil or right and wrong. And I just wanted to share that, the whole idea that I'm understanding that I'm beginning to grasp is not about my doing i may have accountability work to do and i may have responsibility work to do to realize i co-created this and i am a hundred percent responsible for what i have put into the soup but um my being is soul and it's my being that is love love and my doing comes out of my being, putting it in the right order. <clears throat> in being, I be, then I do, then the results occur. And however they occur, I'm accepting them. Um, that's really nice between the ears. Putting it in practice is a whole nother, getting it down to the gut understanding, the second brain down there. Maybe the third brain, because there's heart brain too. Um, that's the challenge. All right. So take that's a breath. Practice. So take t- take a breath. I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you for that input. We're we're down to less than a minute. So I, I want to just acknowledge that that's a very good input. It's the difference between being and doing. And there's another way to say, you know, the trap of trying to figure it out. And I will mute you all and thank you. Susan and Doug and Celinda for your input and um, invite you to stick around for the second hour and I'll remind us all that we come from love we're made of this stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false welcome Jeannie Rice thank you Dr. Tim have a wonderful show so welcome everybody to the second hour of MindShifters Radio today is Tuesday October 24th 2023. And our call in number is 563 999 3581. 
and press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And while we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I'll just say if you go to the website, I've added two new pages, and I'm putting the links to those two pages in the notes for today. We've been talking about Robert Sapolsky's That Man Doesn't Have Free Will, and we're going to continue talking about that today. So I created two new pages. One of them uh, is just called whygen.org forward slash free will. And it's where I'm putting the excerpts for all of these shows on that page. So they'll all be in one place. And uh, then there's another page. Uh, we had mentioned Stress Portrait of a Killer multiple times, but we didn't have an actual page. So I've created a page for that and put several links to his videos that we referred to. And most of those were... were um, you know, he, he studied apes for 40 years, I guess, and um, his visits to Kenya. And one of the unique stories was about this one troop and how the alpha males the, were the most angry, stressed members of the troop. And when the troop had gotten uh, into some tainted meat, it was the angry, stressed ones who um, met their demise. And the remaining ones, which were mostly females, very quickly transformed into a peaceful group. And even new males that would come into the group, it, it wouldn't take but, you know, a few months for them to realize, hey, my alpha aggressiveness isn't going to work here. And they would become, you know, more peaceful. And so it transformed them. And then he had another documentary. Uh, he's got several. But then another one, he talks about um, the high-ranking baboons versus the nice, friendly ones, and that it added to their longevity, and uh, that it was, you know, he actually said they were the perfect model for westernized human stress. That stress is, is a big killer. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, if you check with doctors, one of the biggest complaints today, and so you know, it's like, you know, killing ourselves, cancel that thought. And so there is another way. And we do have free will, but it is from a higher faculty of choice. And yes, if you don't believe in the higher faculty and you don't call on that power, then you're stuck in running the carbon-based memory, which appears to be just fate, that you just, you know, it's just what happens to you. So anyway, I'm going to welcome Michael now, and we'll continue the conversation. Thank you, dear heart. And uh, I didn't hear everything you said about the, uh, the latest video that you found on uh, on his work, but there's I watched it, and there's one really important distinction that doesn't show up in the uh, the video, and that is the guy just talks about if it's the same one, sweetie, that you uh, you looked at. The guy just talks about you know there's a resort that threw away some bad food, and you know that. It was the alpha males, that, the, the angry, nasty ones that died. But actually, the food wasn't just, you know, old, bad food. It was tainted with tuberculosis, to which baboons are susceptible. And the baboons that didn't live in the angry, aggressive, you know, I'm going to tear your eyes out world, didn't succumb to the tuberculosis. 
the uh, those with the added stress of their hostility and I mean if I don't know about baboons but my assumption would be that the reason why the baboon is so angry when there are others who aren't is they're living in fear <laughs> so you know the the load that goes along with it so anyway I thought that was uh, an important uh, little piece to add to the puzzle and so let's start out and open the gate with a question if um, anyone has anything to bring up from yesterday's session any thoughts questions anything to reinforce disagree with agree with there are some hands up but I think they're left over from Dr. Tim so if you press one on your phone again, your hand will go down. And then if you press one again, then it'll come back up again. And I'll know that you're wanting to talk during this second hour. None of them changed. So I'm assuming there okay, are no cool. hands up for you. All right. Sweet. Well, the, uh, the stage we're looking at in the article uh, now, He's using an example. He's trying to prove that no such thing as free will exists. So he gives, we kind of tailed off with this yesterday, imagine a group of friends go to a story, a, a movie about an inspiring activist. One applies the next day to join the priest corps. One is stuck with the beautiful cinematography and signs up for the filming course. The rest are annoyed they didn't see a Marvel film. And you know, one of the workshops that we do it's called Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment. And the theme of that workshop is kind of that your purpose for life, for anything, is the rudder that steers you. And so as opposed to this being something, this being proof of and, and voiding free will, actually this particular idea that he brings forward, this metaphor for his uh, his thesis that there's no free will, is actually, to me, proof that what we need to know is who we are and what our purpose is. Because the purpose I have for a particular situation will determine what the output of my mind is. And remember that perception, basically living in the world or talking about, my take, the world of perception and, and doesn't go beyond it. Perception is a construct of the mind driven by goals. So let's use an, an, another example, a separate example, and then we'll go back to this one. I think it'll make my point make more sense. Let's imagine that um, you've got a friend that you really cherish and just, you know, really honor and you're getting ready to do a uh, a trip to the Bahamas and you invite them to come on the trip to the Bahamas because you want to honor them and thank them for the role they played in your life so you're there in the Bahamas enjoying the uh, the uh, scenery the water everything and your friend cancel the thought gets caught in a riptide and drowns You had a purpose, you had a goal involved 
with his friend, and obviously there's going to be something other than celebration go on for you when that event happens. But let's imagine you had a different goal. Let's imagine you had a friend and you wanted to steal his business. And you'd set up everything, insurance, and all those things were all set up. All he has to do is die, and you become the inheritor of his business. And you bring him on a trip to the Bahamas, and when he gets caught in the riptide, what's your mind output? Same exact mind, nothing different. Same exact mind. What is the mind output? It outputs delight and glee and joy and ah. I made it. Or maybe guilt and fear and will I get caught? But it's a a totally different process in terms of the direction that your mind is taking things. Was it Ella Wheeler Wilcox that we shared her, her poem back a couple of weeks ago? One ship sails east, the other west, on the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that determine the way she goes. So the rudder for life is knowing our purpose and coming into alignment with that purpose. And our goals, if we're conscious, are always set on purpose. And there's where we influence where, you know, what, he's talking about in this article is, well, you know, these are all just influences and the influences run the show. Well, no, if I know who I am, if I know that I am love, if I know my purpose and I have a goal to achieve a particular result, then I become the influencer of all of the things that this thesis is saying, you know, the predeterminate mind thesis runs the show. So we're we're looking at, you know, what the real purpose of the human mind is, and it's to give us all of the data that he's talking about. But, again, if we are only functioning as physiology, as carbon-based memory, and as the mind, the brain being an instrument of the mind, if that's all we're functioning as, you know, it's true. Those influences run the show. But when we wake up to who we are, it's a different game. So he gives this idea of, you know, one person goes to the Peace Corps, one is, sees the cinematography, becomes, goes to filmmaking, and the other wanted to see a Marvel film. So he goes on to say, all of the friends were primed to respond as they did when they sat down to watch. Maybe one had heightened adrenaline from the close call with another car on the drive over. Maybe another was in a new relationship and awash with oxytocin, the so-called love hormone. They had different levels of dopamine and serotonin in their brains, different cultural backgrounds, different sensitives to sensory distractions in the theater. None chose how the stimulus of the film would affect them any more than the sea slug. And he used an example, remember, of a sea slug getting away from an electric shock. So he's right. All of those influences, if we're only working out a carbon-based memory and have never awakened beyond that, run the show. There is no choice. Predeterminism is the game. Again, if you, if you know every piece of data in a system, you can predict what any stimulus will produce as a result within that system. But that doesn't account for the gift that we were given of the ability to choose.
And if we never activate choice, if we never know go beyond carbon masonry, then I agree with them 100%. But the fact is, when we discover that we ourselves are conscious, active, present love, and we can function out of that conscious, active, present love, that's where our higher faculties exist. And it, it can be tricky because this non-being mind, you know, generations and generations and generations have pre-programmed the non-being mind. And when I talk about the non-being mind, I'm talking about a mind that works strictly and purely by resonance. And it's, it's just because someone has what we call a human body doesn't mean they have a human life. You know, if you go into the experience that we've shared with you before, of go back to the moment where you held a newborn child. Tap into the essence of that newborn child. Now, this is a question Jeannie and I have asked of tens of tens of thousands of people all over the globe. And virtually 100% of the time, the answer is always some variation of the theme of love. So again, go back and imagine holding that newborn and answer the question, is the newborn loving you or is the newborn love? It's pretty clear that the newborn is. Human life, I would offer, is the conscious active presence of love. Without it, we don't have a human life. And sadly enough, this world that he's talking about of predeterminism, basically that's another word for it, this world has a specialty when a child comes in, and that is to knock the experience of themselves as love out of their lives. And then, along about the age of 17, 18, 19, 20, send them out in the world to find somebody to love, somebody to love them. And now we've substituted a whole fraud approval for human life. Notice if you watch the video on stress, the big stressor is that these creatures, whether they're the baboons or the humans, are not getting approval or not fulfilling their goals or not achieving what they want to achieve to experience themselves as worthy. Whereas human life, when you experience who you are as a human being, worthiness is just part of the package. The rest of it just disappears. But our culture has specialized in knocking the human life out of us. And if we're in a pursuit of finding a love relationship, you know, find, how did that song go? Won't you find somebody to love? You better find somebody. What's the game? It's approval. It's not love. It's, it's all stimulus response, as he's saying. But when conscious, active, present love comes into the experience, then we have a whole set of faculties that are at it. And those faculties are, one, choice, two, will, three, imagination, four, intuition, and five, the faculty or the ability to achieve true perception rather than perception fueled from the past. Now, it's subtle because in each case, there is a cheap copy over time. 
the experience of these faculties, the carbon-based memory system, the memory bank, has kind of made a, a copy up. So instead of choice, as we've talked about earlier, there's decision. You know, again, if I say, don't think about the color of your car, what resonates in brain cells? Put the color of your car. There's no choice about that. And even the person says, well, I'm not thinking about it. It's like, well, what is it you're not thinking about? In order not to think about it, you had to have those brain cells move. That's a pure resonance response. There's no choice about that. It's a decision. It's just pure resonance. But we have the ability to select between stimulus. No other creature has that ability that we know of on the planet. We have the ability to select, to make choices, to influence the mind and plant in it something different than it's ever seen before. Will, the second faculty that I spoke of, will is the subtle faculty of our human beingness that allows us, or through which I should say to be more correct, through which we manage our minds. And the mind is managed by indirection. You can't manage the mind directly. Anybody who's ever said, I'm going to quit smoking, knows that you don't manage the mind directly. Because, well, I know people who've said that a hundred times, and they quit a hundred times, but they never quit smoking. Why? Because forcing yourself, here's now Will trying to step in, the, the cheap copy of Will, willpower. I'm going to do this. I'm going to force this to happen. Where will is the ability to manage your own mind. Well, how do you manage your mind? Well, we actually have a, a worksheet for that. It's called the Mind Goal Management Sheet. You can find it on the website. And what do I mean when I say the mind is managed through indirection? Well, we're now in an age of technology where we have voice controls, but let's go back just a few years where there were no voice controls, and let's imagine that I'm finding it very warm here in my room, and I decide that I want the air conditioner to come on. Do I just say, air conditioner, come on? I can say, air conditioner, come on until the cows come home. The air conditioner's not going to come on. What do I have to do? I have to go over to the thermostat and turn the temperature down. Then the air conditioner. So that's indirection. I indirectly influence the air conditioner by changing the thermostat. Well, the human mind is managed in exactly the same way. And most people don't know this. The human mind is managed by goals. Now, we have pre-programmed in carbon-based memory a thousand generational goals, a million goals probably, or millions of goals. And circumstances resonate the goal that's there from maybe two or ten generations ago, and bingo, that goal takes over, and gee, it seems like the whole thing is just run by the automatic decision system. But not if I know that the reason I'm experiencing this, let's say, traumatic output of my own mind, this painful traumatic event, is because I loaded a goal in my mind that resonates that pain and trauma in me. Ah, if I know how to manage my mind, I recognize that this perceptual construct of my mind that's so painful for me is a product of a goal, I can cancel that goal, and when I do, then that pained perceptual construct will collapse on itself, and when it collapses on itself, I get to access the underlying inclination that would like to run the show, 
And when I bring it forward in the presence of active love, anything that's not in alignment with love is just blown away. Transmutation of energy. It's instantly transmuted. It's instantly changed. So that's what happens when I know how to run my mind, and that's an act of will. It's a spiritual faculty. Without it, yep, he's right with this. Predetermination runs the whole show. And the cheap copy of that ability to be conscious enough to know that the way that stress is created is by setting a goal, and the way that stress is alleviated is by canceling a goal, then I can collapse any inclination that comes from past generations that comes out of carbon-based memory and clean it up. And then I make a space for me to step in as a human being and direct the show. Now, many inclinations, especially the ones that are linked to pain, have been going on for generations and generations and generations and generations. Look at that story of the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. Do you think that was really a story about people being lost in a hot sandy place that was 35 square miles? Do you think that was what it was about? They were lost there for 40 years? You think they didn't know enough about astronomy to get up in the morning and know that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west and, and follow it, the sun and be out of the desert within a couple of days at most? Do you think they were that stupid? No, it wasn't about being lost in a 35-square-mile area. It was a story about the unconscious. That, that word desert is a code word for the unconscious. So, yeah, most people spend about their first 40 or so years in the desert, functioning unconsciously, with no idea which end is up. They're being run, as he's speaking about, by all of those influences in carbon-based memory. And what did they say had to happen to get out of the desert? The old generation had to die off. And that doesn't mean everybody in old physical bodies has to physically die. The root of the word generation is genari. It means cause. All of the causes held in the mind from the past, all of the inclinations that would like to run the show, if we were to give them a, the capacity to like, all of those energetic impetus will tend to run things until we wake up. Take a hold of them and get rid of them. And the process of getting rid of those inclinations from the past that run the mind is called forgiveness. Again, nothing to do with, I'm going to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. But it comes from a space of recognizing, oh, I have an untoward influence in my mind. I have this inclination that's firing in me that I recognize as corrupt data, and I choose to remove the corrupt data. And when I remove the corrupt data, I'm freed of that influence. You know, how many of you ever said, oh, I'm never going to do that again? But they didn't have any clue. You know, we all heard about the alcoholic, and, you know, he, he had a drunken night and did some terrible things, and next morning he's to his wife, says, oh, I'm, I, I'm so sorry, honey, I'm so sorry, I will never do that. And he means he'll never do that again. But if he never goes in and cleans up his carbon-based memory system, the next time he's got that much alcohol in his system and that stimulus, whatever it was, occurs, if he's never removed that behavior, he's going to do that behavior again. It's just as, you know, as simple as night follows day. That's called living in the desert. What was the alternative? The promised land. It wasn't about a place with you know, palm trees and dates and you know, beautiful women. That wasn't 
what the desert or the promised land was about. The promised land is rather than being without free will and able to determine where your life goes, you have the ability to source something never seen in the inclination-driven machine called the body-mind unit. Cheap copy of will, the ability to manage your own mind through managing your goals. And there are several things that are required to do that. That's a whole other workshop. Getting the stress you need is where we talk about that and laws of living. But the cheap copy is willpower. I'm going to force this. I'll make this happen. The third faculty is imagination. Literally the ability to image into the world something new. It's interesting they've done research with kids and before they get to school age, before they're shuffled off to a place where they're now going to be brainwashed by a system that requires them to fall into commercial servanthood, their imaginations are awesome. But after a year or so in most schools, their imaginations are gone. And one of the things I just cherish deeply about Ari Rain, our granddaughter, who's now five, and she started school, is her imagination. And, I mean, we talked to her about her imagination and her ability to do that, to tap into that other realm and bring energies in that aren't already stored in carbon-based memory. And we acknowledge that in her and we tell her to make sure you know to understand that there'll be forces that will want to shut that down in you and you can just breathe through and let go of those forces you can forgive any influence they have on you and make sure that you keep this cherished faculty of imagination alive in you through your educational process and so that's the, literally the faculty with which we bring other energetic patterns into the system that aren't already there. The non-being mind's cheap copy of imagination is fantasy. I get to hear people doing fantasies all the time around this work, people who, who come to work like, oh, Michael, this is so great. Boy, I'm going to do this. Boy, I'm going to teach it. I'm going to travel. I'm going to have a center, and I'm going to do forgiveness. And six weeks later, they're still living in their fantasy. And well, how many worksheets have you done? How many have you actually put the pen to the paper and done? Oh, I'm going to have a center. Yeah, good luck. If it's your imagination instructing you to do that, and you have the other faculties activated, then you're going to fulfill what you have brought into your structure. If it's just a fantasy produced by the mind, then, you know, dissipates and disappears pretty quickly. The next faculty is intuition. So imagination is the ability to bring in something new that's never been seen. Intuition is the ability to live directly in the actuality of the world rather than live in the world of perception. So the mind, carbon-based memory, that my take in this article where he's saying there's no free will, is he's talking about people who live in that, and that's where most people live. You know, the Harvard research that describes the, uh, the way the perceptual mind works in Harvard, they, they came up with this research. We talked about it in, the, in an earlier show, but just to repeat it, because it fits perfectly here and, and fulfills a, a different point, is that in a time frame where they can measure 10,000 units of electrical activity in the brain, it's about a 25th of a second, the maximum amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits. 
So in this work, we refer to that metaphorically as the nine-bit mind, and I don't mean it's an absolute literal nine bits. Actually, the lab stats were seven plus or minus two, so as little as five bits of data go into conscious awareness as much as nine in that particular time frame. So if you think about 10,000 brain cells firing and your perception is reduced to nine bits, that's a pretty tiny fragment of what's available inside of you. Now, in that same time frame, it's been estimated that the actuality of the world, so we've got reality, actuality. Six people are at an accident, they all go to court, and you listen to them testify about the accident, and you wonder if any two of them were at the same accident. Their realities are so different. Each one experiences that accident through their own perceptual constructs, and so they have a view of it. The actuality itself, what those six people stood around and observed that triggered in each of them nine bits of data that were so different, again, you wonder if they were at the same accident, it's been estimated in that time frame that actuality perhaps has as much as two trillion bits of data. And then if you look at what this new web telescope is showing us, Perhaps it's, you know, 200 trillion bits of data. My take is that the mind will never comprehend that. Carbon-based memory, the thing that we're talking about that has no will, it's just a free flow of information in it, that will never comprehend. However, that will never even, another thought, we'll never even be able to speak about the actuality. About it, you know, maybe around the edges of it, but that's going to be it. But in being, I, I believe that we as human beings are designed when we awaken to who we are and function out of being where these faculties exist, are designed to comprehend and bring into this world those things which have not yet been thought of. We're here to comprehend the actuality of this thing that the web the new web uh, telescope showing us, you know, the universe is, I forget, within the m multiple, multiple millions of times greater than what they thought before that telescope went out into space. I think we as human beings are designed to function in that and comprehend that. But the comprehension will not come through the mind or from the mind. The secrets are not hidden in the mind. They are hidden by the mind. That's why forgiveness is about collapsing and getting the mind out of the way. And then, when we function as fully conscious beings, with all of our faculties practiced and skilled at them, then we're going to live in a, in a space that is so far beyond what we're doing right now, so far beyond what we can even start to comprehend with our carbon-based memory minds. And intuition is the faculty that will give us access to that. The ego's cheap copy of intuition is being a psychic. You remember in many circles they warned about psychics. Why, why do they warn about psychics? Because the psychic is... Well, there's, a, there's an influence going on in the world. It resonates something in the carbon-based memory of the psychic, and the psychic reads what it resonates in them. You know, the psychic that's had a horrible divorce has somebody come to them who has a relationship conflict, and what do they do? 
they read through their own stuff, so to speak. You know, oh, you're going to have this horrible divorce, and it's going to be terrible. And if this person walks away, receiving that as a, an influence from an authority, this psychic is supposed to be so good, then watch them instead of resolving what could have been a simple, perhaps, resolution in that, in that relationship. They'll just go on and create more trauma and drama within the relationship. So the intuition is the faculty with which we can access the actuality of the moment rather than just realities. The psychic is playing in the realities within their own minds. And then the final, and Jeannie tells me you've got a caller, but I'll just touch on one more, the fifth uh, faculty that we'll talk about, and that is that, so we've got perception. You know, there's a, a lesson in the, uh, our, on our YouTube channel. If you just go to whyagain.org, our website, and you'll see the, the uh, social media links, click on YouTube, and then go to a lesson, ACIM, What is the World? And that lesson from The Course in Miracles is very powerful, and, and it opens up with, the world is false perception. It is born of error. It has not left its source. Everything that you experience based in hostility and fear is a result of generational patterns of corrupt data, and perception will guide you to do those things. Not because it's right or good or useful, but because that's what's in there. And in there, accompanying that is the good old family feeling. You know, how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I swore I'd never be like my mother, father. And then when the stress was up and the chips are down, not understanding the power person dynamic, they did the very thing that their power person did to them that they hated most. Because that's what carbon-based memory does. That's all it's capable of. That's all perception can do is feed you what's in there. And once the power person dynamic is established in a mind, it will run that person's life until that power person dynamic is understood, uncovered, and forgiven, removed from the structure. So perception is fueled from carbon-based memory. It's a construct of the past. And in the ancient teachings, they called it the mind of man. You might remember a, a passage where Yeshua comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's Peter, the hero, who has the sword that's going to save him. And Yeshua addresses Peter directly. Excuse me, Peter, for this analogy, but that's the name in the book. <laughs> so he addresses Peter, and he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. And then he tells us what his Aramaic language means by the word Satan. He says, for you think in the mind of man rather than the plan of God. The mind of man, carbon-based memory, can't access actuality. The mind of man, carbon-based memory, is stuck in its patterns from the generations living in the desert. What was the alternative? Ah, the promised land, conscious co-creation. That we can comprehend the actuality, which in that case metaphorically is referred to as the plan of God. This is the creation. We have the, the ability, if we can let go of the, the reducing valve, you know, the human mind is nothing but a reducing valve. If you've got a 200 quadrillion bit world and you get it down to nine, ba nine bits of data, you've got a reducing valve. 
You know, a fly's mind is a reducing valve. You know, it comes in the room and doesn't see the fan and the TV and the art over there. The, the fly comes in the room and it looks for infrared energy and goes for the heat and blood, goes for something to eat, a mosquito, what have you. Their mind is a reducing valve that gives them only what's useful for survival. It sees nothing of actuality. We, I offer, as human beings, are, are pardon me, as non-humans, are still living in a world that is irrelevant to actuality. We're no different, than, and, and I'm in agreement with him with this article. We're no different than the flea or the fly or anything else. Our mind generates a construct that's useful for survival at the moment, but it's not useful for living as the created essence that we are and bringing into the world what comes next. It's interesting if you hear that uh, the passage in the creation story that says, you know, and the creator breathed into Adamos the breath of life and Nafsha created spiritual being became an incarnated being incarnated into carbon-based memory and then he's told to go and reproduce and replenish the face of the earth most everybody listened to the reproduce instruction and had no clue what it meant to replenish and in Aramaic that word means bring to completion finish the creation Use your originative faculties to bring into the world what you are uniquely here for. And the game of kings is to make sure you never do that. The king wants your energy to be used to produce the results he wants. He wants you to be a good commercial servant. And so to hell with your faculties. In fact, I'm going to make sure you never understand that you have any higher faculties, and then you will be a good slave to the king. But my offering is that's not what we're designed for. We were designed, rather than looking down, you know, it's interesting, and you, you hear the uh, the fear-based mind's interpretation of the scriptures, and, and you see people walking around with this, repent, for the day of judgment is at hand. Of course, the guy that's going to judge is the one who, when he was here, said, I didn't come to judge. But they've got it all made up that he will judge someday. That's, that's, that's his new job. That's the fear-based mind. The word re and it's true, you need to repent. And the word repent, reponse, ponse means to think. It, it literally means that you need to turn your mind in another direction. You know, imagine that the being is right there above this human form, what we call a body-mind unit with the mind right there at the top of the head. And the being is looking into the screen of perception, nine bits of data, and it's hypnotized, it's locked, it's lost in there. Carbon-based memory is running the show. The solution is to repent, literally to turn our thinking our minds in another direction. There is quite literally another mind available to us. It was called the mind of Christ, which literally is the mind of love. And with that mind, we introduce into the carbon-based world something that's never been seen before. We replenish the face of the earth. So that would be the difference between perception, that the mind is fueled from and is nothing but a reflection of carbon-based memory and true perception that the constructs of the mind are fueled from 
the state of actuality, from the state of being, rather than from the past carbon-based memory. So I hope all that came together and made sense. And Ms. Cheney, you've got a hand up, so let's say hello to our caller. We actually have two hands up. The first one, though, is awesome. Terry, area code 336. You're on the air. Hey there, good sir. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, we're rocking. Having fun. All right. Um, I was enjoying your comments there. And um, uh, also, I heard you got another call. My, my call was I woke up this morning thinking about uh, the movie Inception, and uh, the, right. when it came out, we were out in Heartland, and it, um, you really, you really uh, flashed onto that. And I just wanted to hear your um, rendition of of how that related to the work at some point. If we've got something else going on, I understand it. Uh, that was uh, that was what was pressing on my mind. Well, for me, what what the movie Inception did, and we haven't watched it for a while. Maybe that's another one we need to, to pick up and watch again because it's really powerful to show how all these interacting levels uh, can be so complex. Actually, in, in a sense, if you look at just the influences, it really uh, uh, reinforces Sapolsky's idea of all of these influences. But then when you bring conscious awareness in, you got a whole different game. But I think... To me, uh, Inception was just a beautiful example of how energetic patterns tend to run the show. And, of course, when you have forgiveness, you can weaken the energetic patterns that run your show to look like your generations looked and change the game and take life in a whole different direction. That would be my take on it in the short form. Yeah. I get, yeah, okay, thank you. And as you were talking about that, it kind of rattled uh, some uh, cells in my brain there. Where not only that, but it's also like the, it was an example to, to me of um, the file folder effect and the, and the cascading opening of the files and deeper and deeper and uh, how that, uh, once the thought gets clamped into my mind there's going to be a little bit of extra work on some more than others you know some that are deeper then i'm going to have to dip, go a little deeper and, and uh, do a little bit more work yes to delete that oh. yeah yeah my my take is that's that's a place that's kind of the juxtaposition where knowing your purpose is mm -hmm. really important because when you know your purpose like really truly are tapped into who you are as a human being and know your purpose, there will be things from the generational mind, carbon-based memory that will come up and, and they'll look very attractive and maybe be things you'd like to do. And what I found when I really got crisp and clear on purpose was there are things that in the past my carbon-based memory would have been climbing to do. I like to do them and I go do them. But when I now use the standard of my purpose, and those things come up and they don't align, they don't serve my purpose, then I just don't do them. And then other things that in the past I would have rejected, you know, I don't like to do, I don't want to do it, but when I recognize that it's in alignment with my purpose, I do it anyway because that's what I'm that's how I align. You know, as an energy system, we bring through more energy and aliveness, not by efforting and struggling, but by aligning. So when I align with my actual purpose, 
I'm maybe going to do things that I'd rather not do, that I don't even like to do, but because they're part of achieving my purpose, I do them anyway. And that's all part of the energy system and waking up and the importance of being cognizant of your real purpose rather than being cognizant of what the culture does to virtually everybody, and that is brainwashes them to the king's purpose. Mm. Does that fit? Does that make sense? It does. Thank you. Delighted. What else be on your mind, sir? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you know, I went through this, like, deep layer of grief that came up yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just really just breathed through it. It wasn't even figuring it out. But I kind of attribute it to um, um, our um, breast session and getting in there. Your still point session Saturday, and, yeah. That was powerful. Yeah, clearing that energy out. And then uh, I was up early this morning and uh, was looking around and I came across that article that I sent to you. It's kind of long. It's, uh, it took a while, but I hung in there with it because I found it to be fascinating about this whole physics and all this kind of stuff. Whenever you get a chance to it, we can talk about that. Yeah, I will. I will. I haven't... Uh read the article yet i read the short uh, you know the one paragraph or a couple of paragraphs you sent me and uh, it ties right yeah. in with you know i mean we're now moving out of the world of what we've called physics into quantum into subtle energy influences and you know when when the ancient teachings say the mind of man carbon-based memory has not conceived of what mm-hmm. lies in store i think that's what they're talking about and we're designed to be able to conceive of that but we have to get out of we have yeah. to be out of our minds. You know that's the game. You got to be out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to hear. It. It's a long read, and one of the things he introduced was that with the physicists and the discussion about this and that and all that they haven't taken into uh, uh, consideration uh, gravity. He threw gravity Damn. in there and how gra- gravity uh, uh, figured into that whole. Uh, equation and um, and in the aspect of time jumping and you know that all sounds real sci-fi and all that but he put it in a very scientific way about the way that you would shift around these different uh, pieces of reality and that uh, that's as a human structure we have all that all that fantastic stuff going on but our minds aren't capable of grasping all that but we're right. part of that, you know. It was just yeah. very uh, empowering. And being, you know, to me, when we look at it, we think about it from that point of view, this body-mind unit is just an instrument for expression in the world, for, for mm. being. Yeah. And it's limited, you know, like, you know, like the, uh, the fly, you know, the leopard, the, you know, each creature has its own perceptual constructs that contribute to its survival my take is there comes a point where we can if now that we can observe the whole thing we can see that there is a power behind it all that's busy busy building instruments of expression of what lies unexpressed and we're on that continuum and you know uh, if we were to my take would be if we were to look at the continuum being from one to a hundred, you know, the the fly or the mosquito is maybe at a one, 
and we're maybe at a six on a scale of a hundred as to yeah. what the we ultimately are designed to be able to comprehend, express, and work within. And when we choose to cooperate with cleaning up our multi-generational database we call a body-mind unit, cleaning up our genetics, taking on the genetic patterns of the past that limit our understanding and our expression, then we get to consciously cooperate with building an instrument for the full expression of what's possible. You know, if I, let's say I, I love Mozart and I've got my $10 transistor radio tuned to Mozart and I'm listening to Mozart. Well, yeah, that's one instrument to listen to Mozart through, but imagine I've got a $100,000 stereo system and tuner, and I listen to Mozart. Now I'm really listening to Mozart, you know, a whole different game, yeah. the instrument it's coming through. And to me, our conscious cooperation with upgrading this multi-generational database called a body-mind unit, this instrument, gives us more full expression and possibility consciously cooperating with understanding who we are and where we're going what's possible and to me that's kind of like you know that old song what's it all about Alfie that's what it's all about what it's all about mm -hmm. yeah and and a big like, one of the key things to the full function of the instrument is you got to get rid of all the corrupt data in it, and that means everything based in hostility or fear has to go, because those corrupt data um, pockets of information destroy the instrument and the ability for the instrument to achieve full expression. So this is just a you know this instrument is just a, a mode of expression. And as we choose to upgrade it, our whole experience is upgraded. That's what the work is about to me. Mm, yeah. The agent teaching the mind of man is not yet conceived of what lies in store. We're designed to be able to conceive of it, but not while we're stuck in the nine-bit mind. Excuse me, go ahead. Mm -hmm. And then we get to go sit in the front row of a national orchestra, like one of the, the, the renowned orchestras of the world, and have that experience. You know? Exactly. Next level. Yep. And we're designed as beings to go to that live experience, not experience it through an instrument. That's why you hear me over and over saying, in order to heal, you've got to be out of your mind. It's an instrument. Breathing with you. Glad you had that opening. That's awesome. I, I, I love oh, the community yeah, it was that's big. developing it was around big. the still point. Yeah, it's awesome. The, uh, the, the level of awareness of each person in it and the space it's held is just, I think, just developing beautifully. Pretty cool. Any other thoughts for you, sir? I'm good, Chief. I appreciate it. Hey, all right. Appreciate you. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Have a blessed one. All righty. Bye-bye. It's Our really pretty caller. awesome. It's really pretty awesome to uh, 
connect with so many unique individuals that are doing their work, that are moving the needle in the direction of full conscious awareness. It's an amazing privilege. So go for it, sweetie. All right. This is uh, Peter, 619. You're on the air. Welcome, uh, sir. Yeah, hello, Doctor. I'm glad I heard the other gentleman. I tell you what, uh, there's some. I think there's something wrong with your connection, Peter. Maybe you could hang up and dial back in. All I hear is static. Oh. Okay. We'll, we'll hold for a second if you want to just uh, dial back in again. I don't know if you can hear us, but but you're. I can hear your voice behind all this static and can't make he out your he words. He hung up, so I'm waiting for him to okay. call back in. I'll give it a second. So uh, while, while we're waiting for Peter to dial back in, sweetie, any thoughts for you on all of this, especially with the writing you're doing with your new book? Anything no, not at the moment. Bring into the, no? Okay. okay, and he's just dialed back in, so I'm going to turn his microphone back on. Let's see if that's better. Hello. Are you there, Peter? You're yeah. clearer. Got you, Peter. Yep. Okay, thank you. I was just saying that um, I enjoyed listening to the other gentleman who went through the weekend experience because, as you know, I signed up for it. And now, I don't know if this is normal, but I, I'm so excited to get back into the groove of doing this, but now I'm actually half petrified of what I'm going to discover. Uh, Great. So I guess that's, that's the reality. Awesome. You, have, you have good reason to be. You have good reason to be, yeah. sir. That's, I mean, all of us do. That you know, nobody's in a different boat than that one. Yep. But uh, so it's yeah, becoming that's... more real every day. Uh, connecting with the other gentleman on the phone, it's just really a good process for me. More people. So um, I did want to say something about perception. Because uh, and I loved your stories about it. One of the Air Force training things that um, the Air Force used to do, you'd right. fill a room with students, half pilots, half engineers, and um, you'd just go uh, to one half of the group, a mixture of pilots and engineers. Go out in the hallway. Right. We're going to show you a video of an aircraft accident. Then the other people come in from the hallway and ask questions. The bottom line was the people that asked questions didn't know what to ask, and the people that said what they saw was completely different from everybody else in the room. So yep. accident investigations with aviation take months because you're – and that's why we have voice recorders, black boxes, because people don't know what they see. We learn that. That's right. <clears throat> we learn that everybody has a construct. Everybody yep. has a reality all the time. Yep. There's a, there are a couple of quotes that fit in here, and, and one I'll, I'll share that I, that I often share on the show, and there's a, uh, a gentleman, and, and this one was not written for you and I, Peter. Uh, it was actually written back in the 1700s, late 1600s, early 1700s. And a, a gentleman named Francois Fenelon talks about what happens when you start to delve in to the mind. So this is 300 years ago. There was this level of understanding, and what he says is, As the light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We're amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our heart a whole swarm of shameful feelings like filthy reptiles crawling from a hidden cave. 
we never could have believed that we had harbored such things, and we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But while our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter and we're filled with horror. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. So it is a step in the process that, you know, I mean, all we have to do is look at our history and recognize that that literally this multi-generational database has every thought, every feeling, every reality, every unresolved issue, as well as every blessing of every generation in our bloodline. And you just look at the history of the world and you look at some of the crap that's gone down, some of the trauma, the just pure, I mean, literally, so-called human beings functioning out of mental illness. And we've all got that in our uh, history. And that's ultimately what yeah, needs to be it's, faced. It's making sense. And then now with the Internet and social media, I guess it's even getting worse. Well, more is coming out into, uh, into view for sure. Well, thank you. Delighted. So here, and, and to reinforce your uh, your input about that experiment you were talking about in uh, in the uh, flight training schools, here's a a quote. You know, the CIA put out a book. We've actually got a link to it on our website, or a copy of it on our website. You can download it. I don't know how many millions they spent, but but there's one chapter. And it's it's basically a book about human intelligence, and there's one chapter in the book where they're looking at perception. So after the millions of dollars spent, here's the bottom line conclusion from the CIA. People tend to think of perception as a passive process. We see, hear, smell, taste, and feel stimuli that impinge upon our senses. We think if we're at all objective, we record what is actually there. Yet perception is demonstrably an active rather than passive process rather than records reality. Perception implies understanding as well as awareness. It is a process of inference in which people construct their own version of reality on the basis of information stimulated by what is provided through the five senses. And, you know, everybody's got a reality all the time. Realities based in hostility and fear are corrupt data and need to be cleaned up. And, you know, you know how many generations has it been going on? So, well... I, I don't know about you, Peter, but I can't think of anybody in my bloodline, uncles, aunts, or people that I knew, neighbors, friends, acquaintances, as a kid through my early life. I can't think of anybody that could have started to have this conversation that we're having here today. Um, I don't no. know about you, but if 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 you can't, if you haven't got some of your bloodline that could have sat down and had that conversation, you know, I, I find it very precious to be able to have this, these kinds of conversations with my granddaughter, who's five who one day when we were we were watching a video, on, she's into anatomy and physiology, we were watching a video on the mind, and in this particular video they talked about how the mind or, the, or a person, it was actually a, 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 a cartoon kids thing on uh, physiology, and all of the organs in the body uh, in a cartoon form come out, and each of them, in turn, sings what their part is, and the eyes, 
you know, it's their turn to sing, and, it's, and, and the, the voice track goes, I am your eyes, I am your eyes, I see the world around you. Our granddaughter, who was four at the time, said, Papa, they don't understand. We don't see with our eyes. We see with our brain. <laughs> it's like at four, she knows it. If we can't think of anybody that has had that comprehension in our history, then being the early adopter means there's some pretty heavy-duty work to do. And that's just, yeah. you know, part of the process if we're going to open that gate. So thanks for joining us and opening the gate and rocking on. Thank you. Bye. All right, my friend. Blessings. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.